BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Surveys, good protection, slides, fires, broken up in the end zone. Gilmore on Sutton. Somehow, someway, the Indianapolis Colts pull out a 12-9 victory. Well, good morning to everyone out there. It's BFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Peter King will be joining me momentarily he has not resigned in protest after wasting three and a half hours of his life last night as many of you also did watching the indianapolis colts somehow some way emerging with the victory in denver 12 to 9 in overtime we're on peacock sirius xm 85 also i believe this is one of those days we are live on sky sports nfl i really do think it is a chris sims issue that keeps us on tape delay, he and his potty mouth, and maybe other things. I don't know. I do know this, though. Last night, and Al Michaels said this at one point in the second half, Kirk Herbstreet disagreed with him. Sometimes a game can be so bad, it's good. I kind of liked what happened last night because at a time when we were very fractured as a people, we found something on which we could all agree. We all hated that game. We all thought we were watching a huge steaming pile of crap. And a lot of us couldn't look away. Now, I wonder if I would have watched all of the game if I didn't have to talk about it for two hours today, if I didn't have to write posts about it at PFT. And I had one of those shots of adrenaline after the game where I stayed up far later than I should have, and I wrote four fresh stories based upon comments from Coach Nathaniel Hackett of the Denver Broncos, quarterback Russell Wilson of the Denver Broncos, Stephon Gilmore, who made that play at the end of the game and also had the key interception at the end of regulation, which set the stage for overtime because the Broncos blew their opportunity to ice the game 9-6 to in regulation. There was just so much about that game that was bad that I very well may have pulled the plug at some point in the third quarter. And I got the feeling Al Michaels just wanted to leave I really did. At least he had the 
willingness to share the self-awareness with the rest of us that the game was bad. And that's what happens sometimes. When you break one game out of the cluster of Sunday action and drop it into primetime, there's a chance the game that you break out of the pack is going to be the one game that nobody gave a crap about from Sunday and nobody talked about, and that would have been the one that we saw on Thursday night. Peter King is now with us, I believe. Peter, is there a word, you're very good at expanding the thesaurus, stretching the boundaries of the dictionary, giving us some education and edification as to the English language. Is there a word that captures for you the game that we saw last night? No, but there is a phrase, Mike, and I believe the phrase is steaming pile of horse crap. You almost <laughs> got it right in your open. But, but I just, look, you talk about Al Michaels. The quote of the night was midway through the third quarter when Denver had the ball at the Indianapolis nine. And this is what Al Michaels said. It's going to be first and goal words. I never thought I'd speak tonight. (laughs) And that to me encapsulates exactly what this was. You know, I, I, I'm, I hate to uh, prematurely put anybody in Canton, but at some point, you know, 20 years from now, we're going to be discussing Russell Wilson for the Hall of Fame. And at some point, 10 years from now, we're going to be discussing Matt Ryan for the Hall of Fame. And to think that those guys basically reprised Bob Avellini and Heath Shuler last night uh, on national television, I, it's it was a shocking display. Now, I don't really blame Ryan other than you know, a couple of really, really forced, dumb interceptions. But I blame Russell Wilson a lot. And if if I'm <clears throat> if I'm a Denver Broncos fan, if I'm George Payton, even the general manager of the Broncos, I'm starting to have a very sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. What did we pay for with Russell Wilson? I mean. This is not Russell Wilson, Uh, at least the Russell Wilson of the first 10 years of his career. And Mike, I think what it all starts with, in the first five weeks of this season, except for one drive uh, that we saw a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, the only good drive that the Denver Broncos have had all season, uh, he's forgotten that a good deal of his game is with his legs. For some reason, he doesn't take off anymore. Maybe it's that his shoulder hurts and he can't bear the thought uh, of getting drilled into the ground. I don't know what it is. But Russell Wilson has to regain the use of his legs. He just does. Without that, he is a mediocre NFL quarterback from what he has shown right now. That is the most alarming thing to me coming out of last night, that the the Denver Broncos might have paid for uh, a very, very flawed quarterback and a quarterback who the Seattle Seahawks seemed, you know, smugly pleased to be able to get two ones and two twos for. And uh, it really looks like uh, Pete Carroll and John Schneider 
are having the last laugh right now. And three players. Shelby Harris, Noah Fanton, Drew Locke on top of it. I thought last night right after the game ended, it would have been great to have a camera with Pete Carroll's reaction watching the end of that game. (laughs) Who's he rooting for in that moment? And what does he do when the pass falls incomplete thanks to Stephon Gilmore breaking up what happened on the last play of overtime? Peter, I've been thinking about this a lot because we don't see this from NFL franchise quarterbacks. We don't see a dramatic drop. Once a guy shows that he's the guy, he continues to be the guy until age or injury cause him to choose to no longer play. Right. You don't lose it. And I'm going to make some dated references here just because there's nothing from the NFL I can compare this to. I think of the story arc in Happy Days when... Fonzie loses his ability to start a jukebox with a slap of a fist against it. Like, Fonzie isn't Fonzie anymore. Now he eventually got it back. And here's one you'll like, Peter. Here's a name that I thought of. One of the very limited baseball metaphors I could make. I'm thinking of Steve Blass. Steve Blass. Yeah. Remember, Steve Blass just lost it one day and could never get it back again. And I feel like Russell Wilson's just lost it, and the harder he tries to get it back... It's not coming back. It isn't only that, Mike. You know, there have been many guys in Major League Baseball, Steve Sachs, Chuck Knobloch. Uh, many people have fallen off a cliff. And that's exactly what, at least through five games, it looks like has happened with Russell Wilson. You know, there's two plays in this game that made me, it just made me crazy. They just so happened to be you know, the plays that have been highlighted by so many uh, in the seven hours since this game ended. But first of all, the forced throw into the end zone, when it looked like uh, the Denver Broncos receiver Tyree Cleveland is doing a cross in the back of the end zone. And didn't it look like Stephon Gilmore was the intended receiver? of that ball that has to go down as one of the dumbest throws of Russell Wilson's career. It, it, it was a phenomenally bad idea and it was executed like the ball was intended for Stefan Gilmore. And, and, and that, that was bad because if you take the field goal right there down close to the goal line, you're up 12 to six and you're saying to the Indianapolis Colts, who've got no timeouts, okay, you get the ball with two minutes left. Let's see you go 75 yards for a touchdown. You haven't gone 75 inches all night. That's number one. But the second one, Mike, you got fourth and one. You're you know in the tight red zone. You're inside the 10-yard line, whatever they were at the five. And you got fourth and one. And this is an absolutely, totally classic case where you spread the field. And you know what you do? If somebody is open after a very quick, uh, you know, surveying of the field, you throw it to him. If not, Russell Wilson finds a hole and he dives for a yard and a half. And you get a fresh set of downs with two minutes and 25 seconds left in the game. Madness. Madness to throw the ball at Stephon Gilmore's guy in the end zone. 
And and again, I just um, I'm I'm obviously mind boggled. We all are at um, whoever has kidnapped Russell Wilson, but whoever it is, what have you done with this poor guy? And there are, I think, many layers and levels of the two moments that you identified, and those are the two key moments for me as well. You got two nineteen to play. The Colts have just taken their final timeout. It's third and four. You're deep in their own end. And the way Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach of the team, explained it after the game, that play was designed to get the first down. That's what he said. We wanted to get the first down. Well, obviously, Russell Wilson didn't get the memo. He threw it to the end zone, and he was looking as if that was his first read, number one, and number two, as if that guy was open. And he clearly wasn't. Stephon Gilmore was. But there was no effort, no sense that he was trying to get the ball to, I think it was designed for Jerry Judy. See him crossing underneath? That's what they were trying to do. And they'd converted the fourth and two earlier on that drive with an underneath throw right in the middle, keep the chains moving, gutsy play, and it worked. But in that moment, the last thing you can do in that play is throw the interception because you gain four yards, you get a first down, game's over. Clock goes down to two minutes, and we've learned by now, or we should have learned by now, that if you have a first down, the other team has no timeouts, and there's two minutes to go, you don't have to do anything else. You just take knees, and it's done. So that would have been the easy thing. Get the first down, don't have to score again. 9-6, you win the game. Not an impressive score, but you win the game. Or you just throw it away, or even take a sack there. But surrendering possession and giving the Colts the opportunity to tie the game up with a field goal was the worst possible outcome. Because you're right. They score the field goal there. They go up 12-6. No one is saying what the hell is Russell Wilson or Nathaniel Hackett thinking because the Colts aren't going to score a touchdown. And if they do, oh, well. We're surprised that Mike, they did because they weren't, they weren't able to move the ball all night. Those are both instances where the optimum play – right there, is simply to get a first down. Now, and in the first case, you know, where he throws the interception in the end zone, uh, the alternative is you kick a field goal and hand it to uh, Indianapolis with either two minutes left or, you know, maybe 2.15, you know, depending on whether you threw an incompletion on that, you know, on the previous play. And the second one is... You get a fresh set of downs with two plus minutes left and you can run anything you want. You know, you're at, let's say, the three-yard line and you've got four plays to score a touchdown. No, no, it's over at that point. You take three knees. They have no timeouts. You get a first down there and the game's over. You get the two-minute warning after the play and it's done. Are you talking about in overtime? No, I'm I'm talking about the fourth and one. I'm talking okay. about the fourth okay. one. All right. A, a, yeah. You know, in All overtime. Right. The point yeah. I'm making about the overtime play is you have the option, basically, of, you know, th- spreading the field, letting Russell Wilson find uh, a crease for a yard and a half and gambling on that versus what would you rather do? Would you rather spread the field and face a blitz, probably? and have Russell Wilson find some way to get a yard and a half? Or would you rather throw it against the 2019 Defensive Player of the Year 
And at that moment, the best player in the secondary for the Indianapolis Colts. I don't understand the decision-making process on that last play of the game. Especially when K.J. Hamler was wide-ass open, as Bruce Arians would say, and slammed his helmet in frustration. We saw that at the top of the show. He was wide open. So, Russell Wilson is doubting himself, I think, Peter. And when it comes to running the ball, look, one thing I've noticed the past couple of years, he's not as explosive as he used to be. He can't run away from guys the way he used to. And I wonder if he doubts his running abilities at this point and whether he is seeing ghosts because of it, because he's not willing to pull the ball down and take off for whatever reason. But this also factors into Nathaniel Hackett. I'm not going to let him off the hook here because at some point as the coach of the team, you have to make chicken salad and you have to realize (coughs) Russell Wilson's not the guy he used to be and you have to call plays accordingly. So you don't put Russell Wilson in that situation where you're asking him to do something that for whatever reason right now he can't do unless the thought process is maybe if we keep trying, he'll eventually bust through this and it'll all change. Well, at some point you just have to say it ain't going to change. We have to navigate around these limitations that we didn't expect when we gave up all that stuff to get him and paid him all that money. We just have to navigate his weaknesses, which are more extensive than we ever would have imagined. Let's hear from Hackett after the game talking about that fateful fourth and one in overtime that ultimately resulted in defeat. We wanted to win the game. We hadn't moved the ball very well the whole night, and I thought we had a spectacular drive to get all the way down there. Uh, It ended up being fourth and one and uh, got the go to go for it and thought that was a good decision, wanted to put the ball in Russell's hands and uh, called a play that we know that that he really likes, and it didn't work out. It was one of those things. The timeout before it was to kind of get a feel for what they were doing, and so the run didn't look as good as we had hoped it would have and and gave gave us a chance with Russell, And, and that's all you can ask for in that situation to win the game. Peter, I got to make a point here before I forget, because it caught my eye and ear when I saw it and heard it last night watching the press conference online. And when Nathaniel Hackett meets with reporters today, and he usually meets with them the day after the game, I hope someone will say to him, last night when you were discussing that final play, you mentioned we got the go-ahead to go for it. Who, who, who did you get the go-ahead to go for it from? Who's telling the coach... What to do? Is this a Jerry Rossberg? It's got to be Jerry Rossberg, Mike. Is it, I, it's got to but, be. But, but the way that he said it, Peter, yeah. it's almost like he's abdicated the job. We got the go-ahead to go for it. You have to make that decision, Nathaniel Hackett. And look, Peter, he said he wanted to put the ball in Russell Wilson's hands. Well, what did you see last night that made you decide, let's put the ball in Russell Wilson's hands? And I know they moved the ball well on that drive. But as soon as they got into the red zone, it's been the same old story. The offense goes into a shell. We saw it instantly. They get that big gain into the red zone, and then the first play is a run that goes nowhere, and the second play is sluggish. And it's like, here they are back in that same red zone funk that they're constantly in. So you got to call your plays, pick your formations, make your decisions with that in mind. That's what was amazing to me. And they came out, Peter, initially with Russell Wilson under center. And then the Colts take a timeout. And I think they went under center again before the Broncos took a timeout. And then they come out and shotgun. And that was my first thought after the game. If Russell Wilson isn't the running threat he used to be, why are you running that play in shotgun? You're telling the Colts we're passing the ball, which they did. You line up under center, 
Maybe it's Melvin Gordon up the middle for the first down, and then you try to get the touchdown after that. Or maybe it's play action, and somebody springs free from the formation, and they're wide open, and it's a walk-in game winner. I don't know why, given the limitations we've seen of Russell Wilson, and they knew about his shoulder injury, he was in the medical tent at one point last night, and he just hasn't been good. Why do you put the ball in his hands in that moment when he's shown you through five games, for whatever reason, it may not be the best idea to put the ball in his hands? Well, why do you put the ball in his hands to throw it? You know, that fourth and one call, I'll say it one more time. Even I would have rather had a design run by Russell Wilson on that play. I do not want the ball in Melvin Gordon's hands. You know, the look, this is this is the 48th story, you know, today. If I, if I work for the, the Denver Post, my, I, I've, got, I've got 40 stories to do. But one of them, maybe 38 or 40, is that you simply have to remove Melvin Gordon. <laughs> you know, he's got to become your emergency player and you've got to play this young kid, Mike Boone. Uh, or you get Latavius Murray ready and play him. Even though it didn't count last night, Melvin Gordon fumbled again. And it's it's just, you he's run out of chances. That plus the fact he's got no elusiveness, no evasiveness. You know, he's not a starting NFL running back. And I think I look at this right now, and if I am... Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, you give the players the weekend off, get this stench out of your out of your heads or whatever, and then come back on Monday, and we're going to discuss some changes. The first thing that you want to do is you don't want to be hasty, so you want to be able to think about this. But you 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 talk to Russell Wilson sometime over the weekend, and you tell him that until we get the passing game in shape, you got to start using your legs again. Start calling some designed runs. Run it between five and eight times a game with your quarterback until the defense respects Russell Wilson's legs again, which it doesn't right now because he never uses them. You respect his legs again, and you start to use him as a runner. And then when you have some gaping holes in the secondary, like even though you had last night with K.J. Hamler, but either he didn't see it or he got locked on Cortland Sutton. I don't know. But whatever it is, the the Denver Broncos have to, right now, with their season going down the tubes, facing a road game, uh, a division road game at the Chargers next week, this is a team right now that has got to realize there's a four-alarm fire going on in your franchise, and we need to make major changes right now in the way we call the game in the people who we have on the field especially also Mike you know where who knows what the injury to Garrett Bowles is right now but broken leg out at least six weeks broken leg okay so so Mike now you're you know the best guy on your offensive line is out so it's it's it is it's just it's extremely urgent now that it's the call of the wild in the Rocky Mountains. They have to make major changes, and they got to make them right now.
Oh, and by the way, when we see the Broncos go to the Chargers next week, we all will see that one again if we're inclined to tune in because that is the Monday night game. The Broncos have in all, Peter, four more standalone games on the schedule the rest of the year. The only one that potentially could disappear is a late-season Sunday night game against the Chiefs. Other than that, it's the Monday night game. There's an early morning ESPN Plus exclusive game from London, and there's a Christmas game against the Rams coming up for the Denver Broncos. So, And do you think, Mike, by the way, that the NFL has taken Patrick Mahomes off primetime? I don't think no, so. Well, no, no, so no. I, it, it, would, it would have game. to be a very compelling alternative matchup that Fox or CBS would be willing to give up before the NFL would do that. So it probably is going to be four for four standalone games from the Denver Broncos the rest of the year. I can't help but wonder what the Walmart heirs who bought the yeah. Broncos are thinking. Why I tweeted we last night to this contract. They, they 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 feel like they bought Kmart. Uh, but you know, I, I annulment would be a word that they may be thinking like, <laughs> hey, we pay look at that. Look, they you can tell they're like, what in the F did we do why if we're on camera so we have to clap but there's nothing to clap about tonight please take the camera off of us I, I, and 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 look nathaniel hackett is in serious jeopardy here if they had to make a decision about a second year for nathaniel hackett right now it's an easy decision the answer is no what about the buyout here's the issue with the buyout i said this on dan patrick's show the other day in the amount of time we've been talking about this specific subject walmart has made enough money to pay for his buyout the buyout is not the issue. These people are extremely, obscenely wealthy. The wealthiest owners in the NFL by billions, by tens of billions. It went from David Tepper is the richest guy at $16 billion net worth to Rob Walton is the richest guy at $70 billion net worth. They snap their fingers and see you later, Nathaniel Hackett. He's got 12 games to get his own reprieve if he can, or he will be done. And people are like, oh, you fire a coach after one year? That never happens. It happens far more often than we realize. Because, I don't know, it happens and we forget about it and we move on because they hire a new coach and that's it. But it happens often, and it's going to happen to him, Peter, if he doesn't turn it around. And, and this is about coloring within the lines now. At some point, you have to accept that Russell Wilson is who he is. And I like your point. You have to issue a mandate to Russell Wilson to run the ball. They got to coach him to run the ball. They got to pick plays and practice plays that have him running the ball. And if it, and if it doesn't work, it's on Hackett. Hackett's got to find a way to get more out of Russell Wilson. Sean Payton was on with Cal, Colin Cowherd earlier this week. And Payton's a name that's going to loom over the Broncos because he's available. And the Saints were one of the teams that Wilson would have accepted a trade to back in 2021 when Sean Payton was the head coach. But Payton told Colin Coward, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'd want to see all the plays in Seattle when he rolls out and uncorks a deep pass down the field, and I'd have my assistants put together every throw he's ever made for a touchdown in the red zone in his career. And we want to make sure that whatever they did in Seattle to allow him to perform that way is in our playbook. Now, even then, I'm not sure it's the same Russell Wilson. Because, I mean, there's no decision-making there. Chris Sims has made this point. He's not looking around. He's locking into a decision early and implementing it regardless of what else might be there. You can't be effective, Peter, if you're locking into your first guy, especially if that first guy's covered and you're still going to throw the ball anyway, which I think is the common thread between those two plays we've been focused on. He locked into one guy, didn't look around, and threw the ball no matter what. Whether he should or shouldn't, he just was like, screw it, I'm doing it. 
Hey, Mike, did you notice last night? I think you did notice the Keystone Cops moment of the evening that the biggest play of the game for the Denver Broncos was made by the back <laughs> judge in this game. It's, it's I mean, it, we laugh about it, but it's true, isn't it? Isn't it true? He threw a pass that the back judge got entangled with the, the DB of Indianapolis, and that allowed two colliding Denver receivers to basically uh, complete this ball. The disaster of that play, just think about it. That play was an abject disaster, okay? And it worked. And the one thing that you do after a play like that is you just thank your lucky stars that somehow it happened. And I still really don't understand how two guys from the same team are in the exact same place. And I definitely don't understand why the back judge is in the middle of the play like that. Uh, the, the, the ridiculously unathletic back judge to get out of the way. The ball is coming. Get out of the way. I, I, it's just, I, that's the biggest play of the game for Denver. The back judge made it. It's just, I mean, everything about this game, everything, even when you succeed, you fail. And that was the Denver Broncos last night. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We have said many things about Russell Wilson, and in fairness to him, we should now hear from Wilson. After an extended delay of some 45 minutes after the game, and he was still wearing his pads at this point. He finally made his way to the podium and faced the music. Here's a little bit of what Wilson told reporters after last night's loss. It's very simple. I think at the end of the day, um, I got to be better. I got to play better. Um, this team, you know, this defense played their, their butts off tonight. Um, we had some key good drives. We moved the ball, you know, in, in the red zone. We just didn't get to capitalize on some of them. Um, you know, and uh, there's some plays there, here and there, that we can, that we can capitalize on. Um, you know, we were third and long again, too, too much. You know, um, that's always tough on offense. Um, you know, and everything else when you're third and 15, third and 17, this and that. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, throwing two interceptions can't happen. Can't happen. Um, you know, I let the team down tonight. And uh, but the good thing is, uh, one thing I know about myself is I'm going to respond. I don't know any other way. Thank you, guys, Broncos country. That's right. There was a I'll lot of that. Ride. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they, they'd like to see him ride right out of town. The, I, I, he was booed more last night in that one game by a home crowd than he had ever been in his entire career in Seattle combined. It was open, it was hostile, and they were making no effort to even try to repress it. It began early and it lasted all night. They're thinking, we paid money and we sat out there and tailgated and drank beer and ate hot dogs and came in here for what should have been an easy game against Matt Ryan and the Colts who stink this year and we can't score a touchdown. Nobody scored a touchdown last night. And 
every time I see Russell Wilson speak now, Peter, and I love Russell Wilson. I think he's great yeah. for football, even if a lot of it is contrived and manicured. Remember the stories of how when he was seven years old, his dad had him doing practice press conference. He always has the right thing to say. Glasses always have full, even when it's bone dry and shattered. He still finds a way to be positive. There's a point where it becomes ridiculous. And there's a point, yeah. frankly, where Russell Wilson becomes a caricature of himself. And he's kind of there between how he's playing, how he's reacting to it, and some of the goofy stuff we see, whether it's the Let's Ride montage, whether it's that Subway hostage video that, that made the rounds last week that people were having fun with, he is kind of becoming a caricature of himself. And if he's not going to be playing well, it's only going to accelerate. And we talk about Al Michaels' self-awareness of the circumstances last night, that this was a game he just as soon walk out the door and go home and forget about it and just go announcerless game like Jets-Dolphins, December 1980, NBC on a Saturday afternoon. There's no self-awareness from Russell Wilson right now that I can see. And I wonder within the building what they're thinking. Does he, ex does he exhibit any self-awareness as to what's going on to his teammates and coaches? Or is his attitude, let's ride, let's ride, let's ride. And like we can't even get on the horse. How are we going to ride? You know, I did not stay awake as you did, Mike, to watch that last night. But I found myself thinking as I laid down at a little bit after midnight, I found myself thinking, if I were Patrick Smythe, who's the PR guy of the Denver Broncos, who's great at his job, uh, and I had a couple of sentences with Russell before he went to the podium, I would have said, answer every question in two sentences. I mean, this is not a night for soliloquies. This is not a night for uh, to be Joe Judge talking yourself out of a job. This is, this is a night to basically say, this loss is totally on me. It is totally unacceptable. And I will fix it. And I'm embarrassed by what I did out there. I'm embarrassed by how I played. You're not going to see that again. Bang, that's it. it. Whoever has questions, answer the five questions. Get out of there. And, you know, and yet... You know, I when I saw when I watched it this morning, it's soliloquies again. You know, it's it's just no one wants to hear the the Russell Wilson promises about how I'm going to do better for three minutes. It, it's you know, it's words are not what works now. There are no words. The only words are, I was terrible tonight. I am going to spend every waking moment fixing it. You won't see that again. Questions. And every question you answer in nine words, and you're out of there. And you're not writing at the end of the press conference. That, that to me, sometimes, with Russell Wilson, he's so Mr. Perfect. Sometimes, you know, you do more harm with being Mr. Perfect than you did, than you do by literally being up there and seething. Because that's what he should have been doing last night. Well, and I think that the one thing we all want to know is what's wrong. And not that that is a question that's easy for anyone in the press room to articulate. And one of the things about a press conference setting, it's very easy to be 
looking around saying, maybe somebody also asked this question I'd love to ask, but it's going to piss him off. What's wrong with you? What happened to you? Why don't you run the ball anymore? Why are you staring down the first guy in your progression and not even trying to make through your reads? Why aren't you the guy that the, you know, what would you say to Broncos fans who are wondering, why did we give up all these draft picks and all these dollars for a guy who has lost his fastball? You know, these are not easy questions to ask. And because he comes off as such a nice guy, it makes it even more challenging to be that blunt with him. And maybe that's his, his suit of armor. If he continues to be the guy he's always been, nobody asks him any tough questions like that. And he just kind of smiles his way through every answer. But there really are some tough questions that are going to be asked everywhere. This show, any show that's out there, Internet, I already have seen uh, you know, some Denver. They want to get rid of Nathaniel Hackett right now, like guys like Mark Kisla. And, and you know, would it, would it really stun you if the Walton Penner group is willing to decide right now we've seen enough. We're just going to let E.J. Evero be the head coach and see how he does because we're going to have to make a decision after the season anyway. Let's give Evero a chance to show us on the job if he can make this better. But, you know, they, they authorized spending extra money to bring in Jerry Rossberg to get better decisions late in games, and they're not getting better decisions late in games. And at a certain point, it's no longer about, well, Russell Wilson's just not performing. You have to make your decisions factoring in that Russell Wilson has a bad shoulder, that he has lost his fastball, that he is not the guy that he was in Seattle, and you have to still try to find a way to win the game despite these limitations that no one can figure out. And that really is the key, Peter. And, and until somebody has that very honest and frank conversation with Wilson, I think he has to have it with himself. What has happened to me, and how do I go about getting it back? And can I get it back? I don't know. The Broncos don't know. And I think right now Wilson doesn't know. But I think Wilson's going to try to avoid asking himself that question for as long as he can. Mike, the only way I do something during the season, and, and look, I don't, we're not in there. We don't know if there's a guy on the staff, as you mentioned, who, uh, who could be the head coach. I think the only way I do something right now, honestly, is if you could send out a lifeline and you could hire Sean Payton tomorrow. I mean, that, that could be something that, um, that would be interesting, might make a little bit of sense. And, and again, I realize all this would be tremendously unfair, but, you know, as I said, there's a four-alarm fire in this building right now and urgent measures are required. Whatever they are, I don't know. But I, I mean, I know a few of the of the measures that have to be taken on the field, off the field. Um, you know, it's probably good that you've got a couple of days to let everything, you know, sort of um, simmer and cool off. Could you imagine if this was a Monday night game and you had to get ready to play on Sunday? I mean, I, you know, I don't know how you could go in on Wednesday morning, have your team meeting, look your defensive guys in the face and say, okay, guys, let's go. Come on. We got it. We got to go do this. Can you imagine how guys like Bradley Chubb must feel right now? Patrick Sertan Jr. I mean, what are they feeling? It doesn't matter how good we are. We're not going anywhere with this team. And so, I, again, I think the only, 
reason that I would do something is if it was very, very clear that Nathaniel Hackett was totally lost at sea and has lost the team. And I don't know that we can know that, you know, watching it from 10,000 feet. What I've seen from 10,000 feet is he's overmatched, that the job is too big for him, the moments are too big for him, he can't function properly in those moments, and it's pass-fail. You either make a good decision or you don't. The decision you make works or it doesn't. And is it enough of a sample size between what we saw just four weeks ago in the Monday night game, the loss in Seattle? Their two wins felt like losses. This has just been kind of a sluggish quicksand type of an experience for everyone. And, Peter, I'll say this. From a team standpoint, maybe it's good to let everyone get out of the building and have a hard reset, and then we'll come back and we'll get ready for the Chargers. For Hackett, it actually may be a bad thing that ownership now has a chance to convene and focus. And if I'm Greg Penner or Rob Walton, or Kerry Walton Penner, all three of them, the three we saw sitting there clapping because they knew they were on camera and they had to act like they really wanted to be there even though they'd rather be back in Bentonville running Walmart. These folks are titans of industry. They are strategic. They are incisive. And I doubt that they have made their careers by doubling down on bad decisions. If there's a situation that needs to be fixed... They're going to fix it. And the guy on the left, I guarantee you, Greg Penner is going to convene a meeting today without George Payton, without Nathaniel Hackett, and they're going to figure out a plan. What are we going to do about this asset we have purchased for $4.65 billion? About the people who are managing this asset that we didn't hire. We inherited all of these people. The only decision they've made, substantively, is to pay Russell Wilson. And that undoubtedly was at the recommendation of George Payton. So that's not a feather in his cap either. And I love George Payton, and he waited a long time for his opportunity to be a general manager. He said no to a lot of teams, and he saw a perfect opportunity in Denver. And just like Rick Spielman went down with the Kirk Cousins ship, George Payton may be going down with the SS Russell Wilson. But if I'm Greg Penner, I am convening a meeting of the brain trust of ownership. Condoleezza Rice is involved and others. And I'm coming up with a plan. And I'm will- And all options are on the table. We're going to come up with a plan for fixing this. We've got a fan base that is already at their wits end. We're going to start having a bunch of no-shows. They had about 5,000 last night. And even though the tickets are sold, no-show means they're not paying for parking They're not paying way too much money for beer. They're not paying way too much money for hot dogs. They're not paying money for anything because they're not there. This snowball is going to start rolling down the hill at an accelerated rate. What are we doing? And it may be, it may be we go the next three games, Chargers, Jets, and then the game in London on October 30 against the Jaguars because then the bye week comes. And we'll see how the next three games go. And maybe we'll make some aggressive permanent measures after that bye week game. But I, whatever they do, Peter, however it shakes out, I guarantee you that Greg Penner and others are going to be sitting down, evaluating this situation from a business standpoint and implementing a business strategy. And these folks are uniquely qualified to do it.
because they did it with Walmart to the point where, and not that they started the company, but they've helped take it to higher and higher heights. There's so many people in that family that are billionaires, multiple times over. That company has been spouting off money for decades, and they know how to run a business. And and that's why I think this hurts Nathaniel Hackett, that they have an occasion now with 11 days, the longest you can have between games without a buy. I think it hurts. It's good for them to have this opportunity. It may hurt Nathaniel Hackett because they're going to be talking about him a lot today and whether or not he's the guy long-term or short-term. Well, Mike, you know, as much as I want to be very, very decisive now and make some very hard decisions if I'm ownership, I also realize, you you talk about Kirk Cousins, Rick Spielman had four years with Kirk Cousins before he got fired. And I doubt sincerely that this ownership group is going to give Nathaniel Hackett five games uh, and then fire him. It would be the classic panic move. Now, again, we don't know what's going on inside the building. We don't know if he's being held up, uh, you know, if he's, you know, being marionetted by Jerry Rossberg and others. We don't know that. I kind of doubt that's the case, but we don't know. I do think the one thing that you can do is I, I would bring George Payton into that meeting that you discussed. And I would just say, George, we need some answers and we need to find out we're new in football. We've never run a football team. We've never owned a football team, obviously. Um, We need to find out why we shouldn't go off the rails right now and do something drastic, Uh, fly up to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and meet with Sean Payton and give him a ransom to come and coach our team tomorrow. You know, so uh, those are the kind of questions Everything should be on the table, but I, I, I think it would be a total panic move right now to fire uh, the head coach of this team. Oh, it would be, but if it's a four-alarm fire, Peter, the panic move is to get the hell out of the house. Call the fire department. That's the point. They need to assess how bad this is and what their options are for fixing it, and I don't know what their final option will be. My point is this. These folks are strategic, and they are smart, and they will definitely – Figure out a plan today. And you know what? But Maybe you know what they, not- Mike, Mike, you know what? I, 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 let me just say one thing about that. You're absolutely right. But they also didn't uh, get to be 70, a $70 billion family or, or person, how, whoever's money all that is. Um, they didn't get that by selling uh, valuable stocks at 22 cents on the dollar. And that's what this would be right now, in my opinion. If you, if you do something like fire the coach, you know, what you're doing is you are listening to the talk shows in Denver. You're doing what the fans want you to do. You're making somebody walk the plank. And again, I just think that it's time to basically say, hey, listen, this isn't the history of any of these people. We're going to give it a little bit more time and then we're going to see what we're going to do. And at the end of the day, Mike, Really, what can you do with Russell Wilson? I think that is one of the biggest issues. If he continues on this trail the rest of this year, uh, it, it, you know, you, it's going to be very, very hard. And again, that's why you don't make a monumental decision like this after five weeks. But if Russell Wilson in the next 
uh, 12 games is what he has been what he's been in the first five weeks. I think you've got some serious thinking to do about what you do at quarterback in your future. Well, I think that at that point, if we get 12 more of these performances from Russell Wilson, job number one next year is to have a head coach who has a clear plan for getting the most out of Russell Wilson and getting him back to who he was. And you give that a year or two to see if it works. Now, you mentioned Sean Payton a couple of times. It becomes very difficult and maybe in the current climate with the pending Brian Flores lawsuit, impossible to make an outside hire during the season. I remember years ago when I think it was the year that everyone knew Mike Shanahan was going to be the coach in Washington after the season. I poked around with the league office and what are the rules if they would just want to fire Jim Zorn during the season and bring Mike Shanahan in now. And at the time the rule was if you're going to bring in somebody from the outside, you have to do a Rooney rule compliance search before you make the interim hire. And then you have to start all over again after the season. So I think it would be very difficult to hire Sean Payton now. But you know what they could do, Peter? They could go see Sean Payton. Now, I don't know how this works with the tampering rules, and they'd have to be careful about that. And it doesn't mean you're going to see Sean Payton to talk about being employed. You're doing a one-day consulting excursion with Sean Payton where you're paying him a significant amount of money to tell you what he would do to fix Russell Wilson. We got some of it for free. In his interview with Colin Coward earlier this week. But nuts and bolts specifics. Sean Payton, tell us what we need to do to fix Russell Wilson. And that becomes the introduction that potentially leads to Sean Payton becoming the head coach of the team. If he even wants to be. Hey, Peter, if I'm Sean, I'm looking at the Chargers right now who are underachieving and may have a coaching vacancy after the year. And the Broncos who are underachieving and may have a coaching vacancy at the end of the year. And I'm saying, I'll take Justin Herbert over Russell Wilson right now. 100 out of 100 times. I'm not hitching my wagon to a guy who's lost his fastball. And, and again, until we know why and how and can he find it back again, I'm not touching that job if I'm Sean Payton. But I think they need to find somebody on the outside who can consult with them. And I'm always a little hesitant about hiring consultants because you – are hiring their biases and prejudices and who they like and who they don't like. And it's hard to really get to the truth. But if I'm Greg Penner, that's one of the things that is on the table. Can I find someone who can give us some sound advice on how to fix this short of taking extreme action? My, my, my overriding point is this. There's no way in hell those three people we saw watching that game last night are just going to sleep in today, read the newspaper, go about their business and act like nothing happened. They are going to take this seriously. If we care enough about it and we've got no skin in the game to take it seriously and spend 50 minutes talking about it, I guarantee you it is their only priority today to figure out what in the hell is wrong with Russell Wilson, Nathaniel Hackett, and everything else that is going wrong with that team, and what can we do to improve it, if anything, between now and next Monday night. And if not by then, between now and the bye. And then what do we implement during the bye, if anything, if this crap show continues i think whatever the outcome i think that that meeting is going to consume three or four hours today at the team headquarters yeah however long the meeting is you're right they're not going to just take this um they will be active owners 
I'm sure they looked at this first year saying, okay, let's learn the rhythm. Uh, let's learn how this business works. Uh, you know, the pro football business, let's learn the correct way to run, to operate this team. But they didn't know they would find themselves in an emergency one month into the season. And isn't it incredible, Mike? You know, the first game of this football season, it was one month ago tomorrow. That was the Thursday night game. And it's, it's amazing how many monstrous things have happened to the Denver Broncos in the span of one month, in less than a month. And that this is what I think uh, this ownership group needs to do right now. They need to be thoughtful about this. They need to uh, be probably more patient than they would like to be. Uh, I, I don't think it's time to do angry things. I think it's time to take a deep breath, express faith in your people, and see where it leads you over the next three weeks before you're by. I think option three is don't do angry things. Do very calm and reasoned and strategic things. And wherever that leads us is where it leads us. And if we have to start inviting people to exit the employment of the organization, if that's what we decide, so be it. But I'm not saying do it angrily. I'm saying doing it with a very clear head and an open mind as to what the possibilities are for turning this around. We need to take a break, but as we go to break, I am reminded of saying if we can show that image again of the three members of ownership sitting in the booth. A wise man once told me, as it relates to the issue of being rich and famous, the only thing better than being rich and famous is being rich. And I think those three folks probably are already longing for the days of extremely wealthy anonymity because at some point peter it's going to turn on them what are you people doing to make our football team better for now it's focused on russell wilson and nathaniel hackett at some point it's going to be focused on them and they're going to be thinking man it was a hell of a lot better when nobody knew who we were and we were just richer than god let's go ahead and take a break some concussion news last night that really began or ended with Naheem Hines exiting the game. Everything else that led up to that moment where Hines was exited. We'll discuss that when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. America. 